You all right? My name's Paul, I've got autism, and part of my autism, I have a terrible memory. How bad I don't hear, you ask? It's that bad that I forgot I was doing videos on YouTube. So um, I've, I had an email um, on the phone, it was off a email address I didn't recognise, and it just basically said, is that it? Are you only doing five videos on YouTube? And I thought, better do another one. Um, before I forget how to speak English and control the camera, because I will forget how to do this setup um, if I don't keep on top of it. So brilliant. What I decided to do is answer questions, um, you know, like as an adult, how is it being an adult with autism, seeing what the most common questions were and maybe just answering them to put some meat on the bones because obviously I want this to originally, especially, reach out to people who might be newly diagnosed, might be looking to go down the diagnosis route, and maybe they just want to see if they tally up with other people with autism. Um, so I thought, find something on the internet, which I have done. I've got the phone in hand. And um, it's basically just a bunch of questions. And what I've done on purpose is I haven't read them. So I'm just going to read them and answer them uh, right now um, because I like all my mental thought to be verbal and I'd rather do it very fresh and new and have pre-designed answers, all right? So play along, you know, after I've read a question, pause it, uh, see what questions or what answers you get to the questions, see if they tally up and at the end, you'll win a prize. You won't win a prize, I haven't got anything. Um, I mean, I've got a pen somewhere, but you know, it's probably run out. Um, yeah, so let's just see where we get. All right, so here we go. Question one, there it is. Um, why is it hard for people with autism to communicate? Um, it's not, not for me. As you can probably tell, I never shut up. I'm a weirdo sat in a room talking to myself, to a camera, you know, and it's not like I'm tripping up for things to say. But what I find difficult, if I have to answer that question, is it's finding the words that you're trying to say. That's harder. So it's kind of like trying to find the needle in the haystack. You know, you've got to wade through all the words I'm saying to find the thing you're looking for. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I might say 10,000 words, but you really only need 100 of them. You know, so it's not hard to communicate. It is hard to communicate the point straight away. That's what I'll say about that one. Does this mean you don't get irony or sarcasm? Um, I do understand sarcasm. Um, I used to do stand-up comedy, and I still on occasion write jokes for people. Um, depending on who they are, how they act, I can write a joke for them. Um, which I do for free because not everything's about money. It's a hobby. Uh, so I do understand sarcasm. A lot of my comedy was based around sarcasm. Was I any good? I don't hear you ask. The answer is no. Otherwise, I'd be famous, wouldn't I? <laughs> um, I don't get irony because if you think of that song from Alanis Morissette, ironic, I always used to hear what she was singing and think, I don't really get it. Like, you know. Um, he won the lottery and died the next day. That just sounds unfortunate, you know? At 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. How did they end up with 10,000 spoons? Why did they need a knife 
And surely they could craft a knife out of one of the 10,000 spoons if they just got a bit creative. You know, so I don't think I understand irony. Next question. Is it hard for you to make eye contact? Yeah, it really is. Even now, when I'm looking at a lens and it's just this eye that never blinks, I still feel pressured into having to look away every now and again. And because, hmm, why is it difficult though? That is the question. Um, I think it's difficult because for me, I have to be very fake all the time, you know, and I can be having a conversation with somebody and to the outsider, it just looks like two people having a conversation. But the reality is it isn't. It's one person having a conversation with me and I am doing everything I can to try and stay in that moment by maybe looking at them going one, two, three, right? You know, so I've had like three numbers of eye contact and then I'll rub the forehead or whatever I might do just to distract a little bit for me so I'm not staring at them or I'm not looking at them at all, you know, because everybody else, it's like, why are they staring at me? And, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a boring you. You know, so it, you have these issues and problems. I'm getting worked up now thinking about it. But at the end of it, at the end of the conversation, I'm knackered. I am tired because I've had to pretend all these social cues just for you so you don't feel weird. You know, and uh, I'm trying to find a reason I have to do that. And I think it's because of the fakeness. I think it's because I have to act a certain way, speak a certain way, stand a certain way, keep a certain way, respond a certain way. And that if I stare into their eyes, then they can see me too. And it's like they can see past it. They can see past the mask. They can see past the blending in. And they can see the real me, the panicky me, the anxious me, the one who's vulnerable, scared, scatterbrained, you know? And I think if they look into my eyes long enough, they'll go, hang on a minute, you're a fake. There's something different. Get him. I don't know if, if they'd think that, but I feel like they could see me and I don't want to be seen. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. Next question. Can you read facial expressions? Um, yes and no. Like if someone's laughing, I can tell they're laughing. If someone's crying, you know, it's usually evident by liquid falling out of their eyeballs. But what I sort of struggle with is a neutral face, you know? So if there are a group of people laughing and then someone isn't, I'm wondering why that person's not laughing. I'm thinking, did they just not find it funny? Are they offended? Do they want to kill everyone? Do they want to go for pizza? You know, I've got no idea what's going on in their head. So the more neutral someone is, the more trouble I have picking up because their face is neutral. I can't really grasp the body language, um, which is usually fine because I don't, I'm not really bothered. I don't come into contact with that many people where how I read them makes the world's biggest difference, um, thankfully. Next question. <laughs> do you ever offend anyone? Ugh. I try and keep my videos under 20 minutes on purpose because I'm very boring, but I'd need all day to answer that question. But the short answer is yes and all the time. Um, 
I suppose the best way I can try and explain it is my brain works quick, my mouth works quicker, and what's missing is the filter sort of in the middle of my head. You know, it's like if someone said, does my bum look big in this? If they've got a big bum, then I'm going to respond in one of a couple of ways. One of them will be, yep, yeah, it does. Or the other way would be, well, it's not that that makes your bum look big. You have a big bum, so, you know, unless you stand behind a wall, I'm always going to see a big bum. Now, I'm pretty sure they would both be offensive to someone, whereas my head thinks, if you have a big bum, that's a really stupid question to ask, unless you want the absolute truth. And if you get it and you're offended, why did you open your mouth in the first place? Um, So it's more... I kind of need that filter sort of halfway through my head where it's like, someone asks, does my bum look big in this? My brain goes, yep. My mouth wants to go, yep. But I should have a filter right in the middle that goes, hang on a minute, don't say that. Say something that's a bit more diplomatic. And then out of my mouth, I can say, I need to go for a poo or whatever, you know, just something so I can get out of that situation um, and not have to answer if they've got a big bum or not. because. I will offend you if your bum is big and you ask me that question. Next question. What about relationships? Are they hard? Um, let's just pick on friendships for now, I think. Um, so if I try and think about it in a very general sense, um, I've got one friend left from school, Craig. He's a good lad. I've got one friend left from when he used to work away. That's Baz. He's all right. Um, just take him as you find him, and I, I, I can I can live with that. Um, there was a guy called Glenn in my last work who's just a solid guy who uh, checks in with you to make sure you're all right, which I appreciate. Um, and there's a guy where I work now, Dave. He's uh, daft as a brush, and it's fine. So it's like I have one person from each generation in my life, you know, each milestone or whatever. Um, and they're not, they're not hard to maintain. And the reason they're not hard to maintain is because they're busy, you know. So, like, one of them lives in Manchester, one lives in Newcastle, one lives in Barnsley, and one lives in Hastings. Uh, and I suppose if where I live, you know, there's a guy called Jonathan. Um, and the best part about all of them is they're all really busy. So for me, I'm just someone who checks in or they check in. And maybe once every six months at most, someone might try to meet up. And then if we don't, it's like, oh, we can't do it this week. Let's do it in when we're free. Guarantee you another six months going to go by before that happens. So relationships aren't hard for me so long as I have a lot of distance between them. Um, it might not sound fun for a lot of people, but it works for me. All right. So um, what else? Next question. Do you get sensory overload? Yeah, I do. Um, let's pick on a couple. Um, smells, I hate certain smells. I hate the smell of smoke. I hate the smell of a candle being blown out. I hate the smell of sulfur so much. Makes me want to vomit. Fish, can't stand the smell of fish. <laughs> and I genuinely used to throw up as a teenager from the smell of fish. Um, visual is probably the biggest problem I have. Like sound. As much as sounds can affect me, every, it's like I've got this weird mathematical brain that breaks down every sound and turns it into a, a pattern. 
And if I can find the pattern in it, the calm comes. But when it comes to visual, it's too scattered. And on, you know, like things that happen visually are the biggest thing that will keep in me for an effect. So a good example was before lockdown, and this is showing you, you know, a long time ago now, but I was walking in my local town and there was someone walking that close to me behind me that they kicked me in the back of the heel and I got angry. So I just stopped dead in my, in my path and they walked right into the back of me and they went, oh, sorry. No, you're not. You know, if we were cars, we would be exchanging insurance details right now. You know, there's never a purpose for you to be that close to me. We're just walking at four or five miles an hour. You're not, you don't need to get in my slipstream. You know what I mean? Just move. I should be able to at all times put my arms out, spin around like a helicopter and never touch another human. There's no reason to be that close. You know, and it, and I lose my not over that. And it's not good for me to get into verbal uh, communication when I'm annoyed because I haven't got that filter, remember, and I'll tell someone straight. And I don't want attention. I'm not a, an aggressive guy. I've got no interest in any of that. You know, I just want to put my head down and get on. But move. Don't stand so close. Anyway, so yeah, I do have sensory overload. Next question. What does sensory overload feel like? Now that I have an answer for. And I can sum it up best for me. Um, sensory overload feels like someone has opened a bag of monkeys in your brain. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, then I really apologize, but that really works for me. It feels like, you know, like they've all just jumped out. They've gone absolutely everywhere. One of them's swinging off brain cells. One of them's trying to, you know, punch you in the back of the eye. Another one's just throwing fecal matter all over your skull. It's just a mess up there. And that's how it feels for me. It's just chaos, utter, utter chaos with no visual, mental way of calming it down. You know, it's, it, and that's where the space needs to be. You know, it's kind of like you need to be able to click your fingers and you're in the middle of an enormous field with no one in ear or eye shot. So you can scream and, you know, throw a mad one. Um, so yeah, that's what sensory overload feels like. Do you need to stick to a routine? Yes, I do. But what the very important thing when it comes to autism and routines is do not let your routine become your prison. Because if your routine becomes your prison, you then become a slave to it and your routine is not for your benefit, it's negative. So, you know, I could work Monday to Friday, nine till five and, you know, great, fine. That's not mine. That's something I have to do elsewhere to pay a mortgage and buy clothes and whatever else. But, you know, like, the times I eat, the you know, or I go shopping uh, Tuesdays after 8 p.m. So instead of saying I have to go shopping on a Tuesday at 8 p.m., I say I have to go on Tuesday after 8 p.m. Now the shop shuts at midnight. So so long as I get to the shop from 8 p.m. till midnight, I'll get what I need. You know, it's never going to get busier. It doesn't get busier after 8 p.m. on a Tuesday where I live. So so long as I make it in that time, I'm all right. You know, so I don't, I never say at, I say after. You know, I try and give myself freedom within my structure to make sure that if I don't achieve it at the absolute time, then I'm, I'm all right. 
because the routine has to be beneficial. Otherwise, what's the point in having it? No. Next question. What annoying questions do people ask you about autism? Um, someone's put there, we're born with it. Can you grow out of it? Can you just get better? Um, I don't really get questions asked about autism. I get silly things said back to me when they find out I'm autistic. So, you know, if I said I, I have autism, I get answers like, um, well, everyone's a bit autistic, or the best one was, no, you're not. Oh, sorry, Professor. You know, it's like, I even had a guy in work say to me when I told him, he's like, you're autistic. When Yeri goes, well, so am I really, because I have to do things in fours. He says, so I, I can't just have one biscuit. I have to have four. And I went, well, that's not autism. That's greed. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, so he thinks he's got autism because he has to do things in fours. No. Um, so yeah, what people don't give you is your is your boundary to be artistic. They don't allow their ears to hear what you might need. It just instantly reverts back to them and it's like, oh no, no, that sounds like it'll give you attention. I want attention. Put it about me. Um so I tend not to tell people until I have to these days because I've I'm not interested in playing this game. Do you like having autism? Yeah, I do. Um because the things I find difficult, neurotypical people find simple. And the things neurotypical, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say, vice versa. I don't find what they find hard. I find it very simple. But when I quantify the two things, you know, I can't socialize well. I can't go to parties. I can't attend events. Um, I can't pose for pictures, you know, unless I'm taking my own picture, um, which I can because I've got a timer and a camera. Um, you know, I, I I find trouble with that. But then neurotypical people have a real problem with money, status, job role, how they appear, you know, how how they look in other people's eyes. And I don't care about any of that. So I much prefer to have my version of difficulties versus their version of difficulties. Because if they just drop that mess, they'd be fine. You know, you could pick me up, put me on top of a mountain with all my resources that I need, like, you know, to grow my own food and maybe have some dogs because, you know, animals are awesome. Um, I would be fine, you know, as long as I never needed anything else ever again. Leave me there. I am spot on. Uh, other people don't feel that way. What's one thing you want to say about people with autism? That's the final question, and I've got less around about a minute to answer it because I try and keep these under 20 minutes. Treat everyone with autism as an individual. Do not group everyone into one ball because it's autism. You know, some people can't stand the idea people self-diagnose autism. And then there's other people who absolutely advocate it to the nth degree. You know, some people want to be at the forefront of autism. Then there's other people who just want to get on with it, you know. So take people as individuals listen to them, understand they might not be able to tell you the truth or the information you want straight away, but just like everybody else, treat them as a person, one at a time. That'd be my advice. So they were the questions. I hope it helped. Maybe build a little more on me. If you want more clarification, send me a message, let me know. I'll try and do them. But until then, thanks for watching and keep 
smiling.